Well, good morning, church. Man, I love this view. Go uh, a quick sign. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but as a high school pastor, I get to go and speak with high school students, which is awesome. But I'm learning that I, sometimes you say things as a pastor, you're like, oh, dang it, I shouldn't have said it kind of that way. So I said this. I was trying to affirm that this was a beautiful view. I got to look out on high school students, and I think Jacob's laughing because he knows exactly where I'm going because he was in the audience. And I said, I love looking at high school students and teenagers. And it was just like, I'm like, your smiley faces, you're like the bright future. And, and it was like, oh, man, what did I just say about This is kind of sounded really creepy and weird. And I was like, oh, now like, I need to get out of here. Anyway, so I didn't mean to lie. So I love looking at beautiful faces, smiley faces. It brings so much hope and joy. So this is a, a, a great perspective. What's that? Yeah, watching. You know, it still sounds weird that way. Anyway, there's no way around it, okay? Um, but what a joy it is to, to be up here and to bring our series of belong to a close, to a finish. Uh, I feel like being on the, the end uh, to, get to give this sermon on uh, John 17, it feels like the last leg of, the, uh, of a um, team race, you know, on track, and I have like a lap lead. And so I can basically just kind of cruise us in because our team has done such an amazing job and it's been so rich. And so for me to get, to, get the baton and finish uh, chapter 17 here um, is, is tr- a truly an honor. And I think also baton is a, an appropriate metaphor because uh, I was thinking about the context of John 17. It is a beautiful personal prayer from Jesus as he's praying to the Father. It's the last time Jesus is really with his disciples. They're in the context of the Last Supper, and he prays to, to, to the Father. Uh, and so it's a personal prayer, but in, in the context of the text and in the life of Jesus, we read this, and really it's an act of commissioning. It's an act of passing on the baton to the disciples of saying, this is what I want your life to be like. Uh, To me, it's a call to faithfulness. It's a call to public discipleship is what I I say. Um, And again, to continue with this theme of baton. uh, So I am a recent father. I have a a three-and-a-half-month-old son, baby Sterling over there, Sterling James. And uh, I know, he's great. I'm still learning how to receive God's love through a really, like, at 2.30 in the morning, crying baby or a bad diaper. So if anyone has any suggestions for me, please, you know, my wife's better at that than I am. But, um, so my dad and brother-in-law took me out before my baby came and gave me this baton, and it has scripture on it about how to be a godly father, how, how to lead your family well, how to raise a child in God's way. And uh, I, I have this on my desk, and I think about it, and um, it's special, you know, because it's my own father thinking about all he's instilled in me, and, man, I want to I make him proud by carrying that well. And that's what Jesus is doing in this chapter 17. He's looking with love and saying, I love you, and I want you to finish well. I want you, I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm going to die, but I want you to lead well, lead well. So church this morning, may we listen faithfully and take up the baton of Christ. So what I am doing, I've broken the section, the passage up in in, uh, three three areas and as we go through. So let me uh, dive into the text, John 17, if you have your Bible with you or Bible app, we can follow along the first section, glorifying God with our life. It's on your handout there as well, glorify God with our life, highlighting three components of this prayer 
that help us in being faithful to this call of taking the, the mantle of disciple, of following Jesus in eternal life, uh, starting now and following Jesus, Jesus' way. So uh, let me start in verse 1 here, chapter 17. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Did you hear the word glory mentioned multiple times? Such a key word through the whole book of John. In fact, John 1.14, the, the prologue of the Gospel of John, John 1.14, he says, And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Jesus' glory, it's a theme that John wants us to hold on to, that we see the glory of God in Jesus. God's grace has been infused in his son. And so we receive that when we receive him. Now, this theme of glory is something, as a young athlete, I came in to kind of, uh, let's say, I don't know, it became part of my life as uh, I found success in athletics. And what was interesting, though, is there was a ministry called FCA, and we're part of it, and we, we support it, and we believe strongly in it, and it's on our campuses in high school. They have this tagline that says, play for the audience of one. Play for the audience of one. We know, like, if you're an athlete and you do well, you're going to get attention, you're going to get accolades, you're going to get glory. But you, your task as a follower of Jesus and you play on the athletic field is to play for an audience of one. And that had such a profound influence on me as a young high school kid, finding success in athletics, but reminding my posture on the football field, on the baseball diamond, uh, not really the basketball court, but on those other two, uh, was to play for an audience of one. It, it always, it calls out our character matters more than the performance. It calls out our posture towards God. If you're honored by how I play, who cares what the score is, right? I think about that in context of our school environment, and I wonder how many, six, how many schools, and this is no knock on PV School District, but could PV School District say, hey, play for the audience one. If you don't get into a good college, it's okay, as long as you glorify God while you're on campus. It's not the task of their education. Their education's task is to get you into college. It's what we believe in. However, as Christians, that's not our primary focus. The primary focus of our education, being formed as a body of Christ, being formed in the image of God, following Jesus, he shapes us and forms us to glorify God, first and foremost. So who cares if you go to college or if you don't? If you go, uh, wherever your life goes, if you're glorifying God, that is our task. But it's so hard for our young people today. There's so much pressure that it's like, okay, you can glorify God on the side, but you really need to get into a top university, or you really need to make something of your life. See, to me, it, all it gets back to is control and, and our own power. We have to elevate our own self so that we can feel better, that we can feel more secure in our place in society, and then, okay, God, come along for the side ride. But that's not what Jesus says to you. Like, Jesus didn't say, hey, y'all, I'm about to leave. Remember all the great miracles and stuff I did, everybody I healed, 
Yeah, no one else has done that. By the way, I'm gonna rise again from the grave. No one else is gonna do that, so peace, drop out. No, he doesn't say that at all. He's like, God, you be glorified. Glorify your son as the son has glorified you. It's this posture of, Father, you are first. Posture of on our knees. And daily, isn't it? It takes daily uh, surrendering to the Lord to be reminded of this. Because the path of Jesus is challenging. And our, and our sin nature creeps in, and we want that control. We want our own status, our own glory, because then we feel secure in ourselves. And there's nothing wrong if that comes our way, but if that's where our heart is, man, our heart will continue to lead, and the enemy will keep pulling on us and pulling on us and pulling on us until we realize, oh, man, yeah, it's all about me. And our hearts are so far from the Lord. But it's, it's challenging, and it's... It's hard, and it's hard to discern, like, am I being proud, too boastful, am I too proud, am I seeking after my own glory, or am I truly giving glory to God? And that's why we're together in community, is to, we rub shoulders with one another, and we live life in community because we can authentically speak truth into one another's life and saying, brother, I think you're, you don't need to take that promotion. It's going to actually pull you away from your family. It, maybe the best thing you need to do is just, Spend more time with your family. And that's, you're going to glorify God by making a statement about what's priority in your life. Or maybe for some of our students saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, Stanford's not the best fit for me. Maybe TCU is a better fit for me. Or going to like Biola. That's a better fit for me. I mean, what a statement that would be. Good shout out for James, our (laughs) professor at Biola over there. Yeah. yeah, well, I know Stanford, I know for you, Liz. And my dad went to Stanford, so it's okay. Uh, but, you know, and so it's like we say, we, we rub shoulders, we can speak truth to one another. And that's where we can refine one another in God's glory. See, God's glory is uh, when he's given us, Jesus has given us that glory from the Father. It's never just individual uh, thing. It's, it's supposed to be communal. In fact, the, as later you'll see in the text that, Jesus says that he passes on this glory to his disciples. And then in the book of Acts, as a community, we reflect that glory together. By our faithfulness, by our public discipleship together, we reflect the glory of God. That's our task and that's our call. Uh, What's interesting, though, in John 12, just to kind of highlight the challenge of this, uh, you get this passage from Isaiah and then John writes this that Isaiah said this about Jesus because he saw Jesus' glory beforehand. Isaiah is a prophet from the Old Testament. And he spoke about Jesus. Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, so he's saying even um, Jesus' glory was being revealed and people believed in him. But nevertheless, even the authorities, those in power, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it for fear that they would put, be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. Let me read that again. Even though they knew that true glory was found in Jesus, they did not confess it for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Or like basically the, the, secu- the political, economic security of their day. Their social status. For they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. Man, may it never be said of us that we love human glory more than the glory that comes from God. But that is a temptation, I'm telling you. Even as a pastor, 
You go to Hume Lake and it's like, hey, uh, yeah, how many kids do you bring up to Hume Lake, you know? Yeah, I'm just rolling 120 deep, you know? Oh, how's your five, you know? And, and then it's like, oh yeah, my kids just won Kajabi and they just won all rec for five years in a row. So yeah, take that one. And it's like River Church is, you know, it's like, you know, the river, they always dominate when they get up here. And it's a temptation to be like, yeah, look at our, we're like, just it, we're it up at Hume Lake, you know? And, um, but, and it's like, I love that. But it's like, if that's really all the reason why we go to Hume Lake, then God help us. God, bring me to my knees and repent as a pastor saying, your priorities are way off and you're seeking your own glory. The reason why you go to Hume Lake is so that kids can encounter Jesus and they can see true glory and taste that. It's challenging, right? In a corporate world, it, it, man, it's just like, how do you not seek your own success and your own glory? It's challenging. But the, the call is to continually put Jesus first. That's the call. Seek his glory. Uh, number two, remain steadfast among trials. Remain steadfast among trials. This is in verse 11, starting verse 11 through 16. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them. And not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Let me tell you, when I read that this week, I've been thinking a lot about that. I was really convicted. Because let me tell you what my prayers usually sound. God, help me not to have any kind of problems this week. <laughs> help me to be really good and succeed and achieve a lot and grow. And... Jesus didn't pray that. He doesn't say, hey, Lord, uh, Father, I pray my disciples will climb the ranks of the synagogue and become the chief priest, you know, basically the, the highest echelon. May, they, may their influence just continue to expand more and more and more. And may, or may there be a D1 athlete on my disciples, you know? Like, he doesn't pray that. He knows their influence will grow, but it's like he knows it's got to be first about God's glory. And so what does he say? He says, I pray for their protection from the trials that will happen. We don't have to live long enough to know that trials do come our way. Now, we don't pray for trials to happen, right? We don't pray and ask them to come. But when they do come, we have to receive them. That is hard to do. It's like, yeah, yeah, right. I know. I don't, I don't like talking about it, but it's true. We have, the way of Jesus is to receive the trials. It's like the way of Jesus is the cross, I mean, it's so easy to forget that. That resurrection comes through a cross. We all want the new life. We just don't want to go through the cross. Right. <laughs> I mean, man. I mean, it's just, and that's so challenging in our world today. Uh, for me, I, my, my like little ecosystem of like this reality, my cross bearing, I know it's funny, but bear with me, uh, is in my workouts, P90 workouts. And I got Tony Horton saying, you're going to love it when the burn comes. And when the burn comes, you just got to breathe. Breathe when the burn comes. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the burn is when, like, your legs are on fire and all you want to do is throw up and, like, stop. 
And he's like saying, stay with it, stay with it. Receive the burn, receive it. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good. You're like, no way. This burn is killing me, you know? But it's like we want the great body, but I, I mean, I also want to eat a lot of handles, you know? I'm, being, I'm just being honest. I want to eat a lot of cookies too. But like I don't want to receive the discipline that comes with the trial. And, man, that burn, the burn. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an athlete my whole life, so it's like all I have is sports metaphor. Metaphors, but it's like it, for our life, it's like when those trials come. It's like God, get me out of this trial, get me out of this right now. And then you know we play those spiritual games in our mind of like, man, if I really was a true believer, would this be happening to me right now? Or maybe I'm not praying hard enough. Or God, why am I not being healed? Maybe you're not hearing me. So let me pray louder. But that's that that can happen. Like maybe there is something unrepentant, and that stuff is there. But primarily, Jesus is what he says here is that. I pray for their protection against the evil one who wants to distract them from my way. And so what happens is, I think the evil one does this to us, especially in a Western context where we have things like medicine that says things like, well, you're not healed because maybe you don't actually truly believe. And that's the evil one whispering us saying, you wouldn't be enduring this trial if you really, like, believed in Jesus. There's a interesting book my mom actually introduced me to because she's a therapist. It's Why Do Christians Shoot Their Wounded? And it was all about how the Christian church has killed, not literally, but emotionally, communally wrecked um, followers of Jesus, their own brothers and sisters, because of, they couldn't deal with people's mental illness that they were struggling with, depression, anxiety. Couldn't deal with it. Wow, man, if you're struggling with lifelong with depression or anxiety, man, I mean, God wants your full life, right? Why aren't you over that by now? I mean, you got to get over that, right? And so the enemy, I think, whispers like this health and wealth gospel to us. And that's what the full gospel looks like. It's like, hello, do we, do we not follow a crucified Savior? A Savior went through us. Do we not follow like the disciples? Peter got, hung, got crucified upside down. Stephen got stoned, you know, to death. I mean, these are, these are our brothers and sisters, I was talking to Todd about this uh, this week, and we we're talking about the persecuted church around the globe, and uh, just man, like how much we can learn from the persecuted church, and man, the way they pray—they pray not for trials to stop, but they they pray for faithfulness in the trial. Sure, they don't want trials to come; they don't want they don't want their kids to die. I think about our Coptic brothers and sisters, you know, the fear when they gather in Egypt. They're going to be blown up by ISIS or Christian brothers and sisters in Syria. I mean, there's a real danger to gather and to be a public Christian. But, man, they consider it a blessing because they know that that trial is going to produce the eternal glory. And I think about in the book of James, you know, James, about the testing of our faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must do its work so we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And again, I'm reminded of James' sermon two weeks ago about Peter who continually is like following Jesus and continually is like being reminded about faith and what this means about having faith in Jesus. And so his, Peter's trial is like continuous to stumble. And as James said, it's like a, we just got to hold on. Faith is more about a stubborn resistance, stubbornly holding on to faith, not letting go of Jesus. Even when I'm confused and it's not with the life I thought it was going to be, I'm just holding on. And so I think about the next scene in chapter 18 of John. Peter takes out a sword because he's thinking, oh my gosh, they're here to take my, my Jesus away. I'm going to attack. 
And she's like, put your, put your sword away, Peter. Violence is not the solution. I have to go to the cross and die to pave the way for eternal life for all. This has to happen. And Peter's like, what? But this is how I show my affection for you, Jesus. I protect you. I guard you, you know? And say, no, that's not the way. And so for many of us, it's like we, we think, well, this has to be the way. Nope. And Jesus is like, nope, go, go this way. You're like, really, God? I thought I had this thing figured out at age 75 or, you know, age 50 or age 33. And God's like, nope, got to go this way, got to go this way. And you continually pursue him. Stubborn resistance. Tara and I are, uh, are pediatricians, a Coptic Christian, so we've been um, talking, having some good conversations with her. And man, it's just so good to be around brothers and sisters in the Lord who are different than maybe your own kind of expression of faith, usually your own kind of cultural context because it refines you in ways. It gives you eyes to see what Jesus is like outside your own. And uh, so, yeah, just talking to her, and I'm like, man, isn't that scary for you, like, being a Coptic Christian? And she's like, it's a blessing. We love it. It strengthens us. And I was like, man, that's amazing. That's the kind of faith I want. I want that faith that pushes me further. And I know as a church, that's what we're praying for. We want more of the Holy Spirit just to be driving us forward, driving us on our knees as a way to go forward, driving us to see more of God and less of our own self. Um, again, I think about this, this piece of remaining steadfast among trials and chapter, uh, or I think about the, the next chapter with Pilate. You know, it's Pilate seeks power and control over his own life. And that's not the way of Jesus. And pa- Pilate says, I love this. He goes, don't you know I have the power to crucify you, Jesus? And Jesus there in that midst of that trial, right, a literal trial, he goes, you would have no power over me unless it was given from above. This is the way it has to go. I mean, it's just amazing the way that Jesus' life goes and invites us into. Uh, the third point, hold together in unity, verses 20 through 23 here. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. What I find fascinating about this, you see how many times one, one is said? It's like, okay, be one, be one, be unified, be one. And then it's like, be completely one. You know, it's like this theme of you have to be together. Boy, do we need to hear that today. Completely one. Brothers and sisters, when we step in here together on Sunday mornings, our first allegiance is not to any other entity other than Jesus. And so we don't pull in our allegiances to our favorite sports teams, right? Or allegiances to political parties. Our first allegiance is to Jesus. And so when we show up together as brothers and sisters under the cross of Christ, that is our identity. That's where our unity is found. We cannot let divisions outside the church divide us in the church. Unfortunately, the history of the church has been nothing but separation. And we need to do one thing about that. We need to repent. We need to be on our knees and confess our sin of lack of unity. 
We're more, we're more concerned with power and control and wielding our own cultural influence than following Jesus in being united with our brothers and sisters. And that's how the glory of God will be revealed, through our unity with one another. Uh, I think about my own, I want to read this quote from Richard Rohr, by the way, if any Richard Rohr fans out there. Um, the goal of spiritual journey is to discover and move toward connectedness and relationships on new levels while also honoring diversity. We may begin by making connections with family and friends, with nature, with animals, and then grow into deeper connectedness with those outside our immediate circle. Without connectedness, Roar says, and communion, without connectedness and communion, we don't exist fully as our truest self. Becoming who we really are is a matter of learning how to become more and more deeply connected. I think about my own life and when I lived in Israel, and my own journey towards this deeper sense of connectedness with the body, kind of coming in with, with uh, preconceived notions of what real Christians are and thinking that Eastern Orthodox Christians maybe were like missing the gospel somehow because they had a tradition that was different than mine. They practice their faith. They have like, you know, they have icons and they're, if anyone's familiar with the Eastern Orthodox tradition, icons and there's like gold everywhere and incense and like, what the heck is this, man? Like, I didn't grow up with that. And it's, isn't it so easy when, when something out of our own context, what we think we know, we, we tend to disconnect rather than step in and try to connect and see how is Jesus alive in that? and ask questions of how do you follow Jesus in your tradition? How do you love Jesus in your tradition? How do you glorify Jesus in your tradition? And what I found was, oh my gosh, their faith was so deep. And I found myself longing to connect my brothers and sisters, Syrian and, and, and Egyptians and Armenians, all way different. And yeah, there's some different theology, but that's okay. They're pursuing Jesus. They want the best that Jesus has to give in their life, and they're pursuing him faithfully. So what is your step towards connectedness? What is your step of unity in the body? It might look like taking a step into a grounded group. It might be taking a step towards confession. It might be a step in your own family. Maybe there's need to be unity in your own home before there can be unity outside. What is the step that you are gonna take towards greater connection and greater unity? I mean, and to me, the whole piece here is about vulnerability. Any Brene Brown fans in, in the room? Yeah, Brene Brown. Uh, you know, Brene Brown is, is a so leading sociologist, and she doesn't explicitly say, here's the gospel, but man, when she talks about vulnerability as the way to our truest self in life and to social healing and social thriving and what we would call shalom in theological terms, it's through vulnerability, that's the gospel. Because let me tell you, the most vulnerable thing anyone could ever do would be be the son of God, and you're all powerful, and you're allowed to be stripped naked and put on a cross for all to see and to die. The most vulnerable act Jesus did, Philippians 2, even though Jesus was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or used for his own gain, but he humbled himself. That's the point. Vulnerability is humility. It's scary, but it's, it's the path that Jesus calls us on. So what is your step of vulnerability going to be like for you? I pray that we be a church that would step in the path of Jesus, the step of vulnerability with one another towards greater connectedness, to manifest the glory of God in that connectedness, and in the meantime, we find our truest self. You won't find this in self-help books, by the way, because self-help books do this. 
manage your life better, control your life better, and you'll be a better you. Not the way of Jesus. You give up your life. You surrender your life to Jesus. And watch what Jesus will do to you. And the glory will be reflected. And you will find your truest self. Let's pray. Amen, amen. Lord, the path, the, the eternal path that you offer us is hard. Lord, for anyone right now who's experiencing, like they're in the thick of a trial, I pray for your grace to meet them there. Touch them, Lord, with your grace to sustain them. Uh, God, for our brothers and sisters around the globe, for our brothers and sisters, Lord, in communities here in the United States who are often marginalized. and ex- God, may, may your grace meet them. May we, Lord, as a church, as individuals, have the vulnerability, the humility to step and say, Jesus, where are you alive in that person? How can I see you, Jesus, in them? Jesus, you beckon us to take out that baton, to, to follow in your footsteps, to glorify God the way you glorified him. God, we want to be that church. We want to be faithful in our public witness to you. God, hold us firm. Protect us from those trials when I'm away. To keep us on your way, God. Hold us together in unity that we might be one. And in our oneness, God, you would be glorified. That people would say, who are these crazy people that come together and they don't stratify themselves the way the world does, but they honor one another They give honor to one another rather than taking honor. May we be that church, Father. May we take that baton and live faithfully for you in our public witness. Amen. Amen.